an unexpected story out of the so-called hot labor summer. Strippers united will never be divided. Binge all four episodes of Imperfect Paradise Strippers Union wherever you get your podcasts. Studios. This program was made possible in part by a grant from Anne Ray Foundation, a Margaret A. Cargill philanthropy, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors through the Department of Arts and Culture, the City of Los Angeles Department of Cultural Affairs, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you so much. Uh, Another round of applause for that beautiful film that we just saw. I just pulled water all over this, and that's okay. We're moving on. It's live, the same way the theater is. Um, Okay, so I want to (laughs) introduce our amazing panel tonight. Um, At the end, we have actress Sandy de Jesus. Sandy is an L.A.-based actor and singer, and of course was one of the stars of this of um, East West Players World of uh, show on this side of the world. Then yes. Then we have Tamlin Tomida, who is an actress. She's an American actress of Japanese descent. She made her screen debut as Kumiko in The Karate Kid Part 2 and reprised the character for the streaming series Cobra Kai very recently. And she's also well known for her role as Waverly in the Joy Luck Club. And finally, Weigu is a filmmaker and visual artist born in China and raised in Vancouver, Canada. She directed this documentary that we saw tonight. And her filmography also includes A Moth in Spring, Who is Arthur Chu, and A Woman's Work. And she just had a baby three weeks ago. I was pregnant making this film. Um, actually, okay, so my first question is, Zandi, how did your kids react to seeing you for the oh, first time? yeah. Um, they were, they, my son is hard to please. He's 14 years old. He's a teen. So it's really hard to, um, you know, keep his attention. Um, but he loved a lot of the really funny numbers. Um, he thought I was all right. He sees, I, I sing all the time and sees like, ah, I've seen you do that. My daughter though, she's like mom's biggest fan. Like she's nine years old and she, at the end of the night, like stuck onto me, hugged me. And, and I tried to take pictures with other people and she was in every single picture. So she, that was a wonderful experience for her and, and for me too, to see her and like point to her. Cause, um, at the end, the, the last number, Gemmelin envisions having a child. She envisions a, a future for herself in the States. And she starts talking about this, um, you know, how funny it would be to have blue-eyed little kids. And she goes up to Paolo, who wrote the musical, and she goes, I don't have blue eyes. <laughs> and Paolo goes, it's not all about you, honey. <laughs> and she was like, like sass meets sass. It was great. It was so funny, but she loved it. They loved it. It's so funny. I love, I mean, one of the scenes that is so emotional is the table read where everyone's imagining who they're bringing, the stories they're bringing. And so I wanted to ask all of you to answer that question because everyone on this stage is storytelling in some way. So I'm curious. Yeah. Um, We'll start with, uh, okay. We all saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was an emotional, I mean, Sean's here. 
he was crying. <laughs> um, he's in the cast as well. And we had such a great time um, reading through that. It was very interesting to read through it with, without the music. So we were just reading the text and we still got very emotional. And to have Noam ask us, like, who are we doing this for? These are, these are not our stories, our generation. Um, the only person I think, there were only a few of us who were actual like immigrants who came recently in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. All of us here were, most of us were born here. Um, so I, I said quite a few people, um, including my grandma, who, um, you know, she was only 16 when she got married to my grandpa and then oh. started a family. Yeah, it was, I, they gave up so much to be here. And then my mom, too, they, they immigrated here to the United States. She was pre-med in the Philippines, gave that up, and took all kinds of odd jobs with my dad to make a living and for... Uh, for us to make a, a bright future. They definitely did not uh, uh, envision two of their five daughters becoming performers. <laughs> they were like, nurses, doctors, engineers, something. Make us money, please. Um, so yeah, I mean, I dedicate it to my parents and my grandparents, yeah. Um, just to connect to Zandi uh, uh, de Jesus' story about uh, on this side of the world, written by Paul Apollo Tirol and directed by Noam Shapiro, that's premiered world premiered at East West Players earlier this spring in 2023. I just finished a run of Stephen Sater's and Duncan Sheik's Spring Awakening, so it encompasses the whole mission of East West Players to bring about original Asian American stories as well as doing canonical. American musicals, and I'm not a singer, but being able to perform in this piece um, with the next generation of this galaxy of young Asian American stars was really, really, really super heartwarming and reaffirming in the mission of what East West Players does. And referring back to what you're asking about the first table read, it is simply, and I think it's not specific just to East-West players, it's specific to every single artist, storyteller, creator, story maker. We have a number of them here in this audience about who is this story for? Because if you make it specific about who, this, who I'm performing the story for, it becomes universal and becomes about the story about a mother and a daughter. Specifically, a Filipino-American, a Japanese-Okinawan, Filipino-American, a Chinese-American mother and daughter. Uh, I'm assuming Latino because Antonia is like, so again, a mother and the daughter. If you are a mother or a daughter, it becomes universal. And that first table read is always so fresh and empowering and distilling and investing in what the story is because it's fresh out of our mouths. Mm -hmm. And we're interpreting that story for the first time. And there's no better performance because we're actually giving it out to the universe for the first time as the freshest, like a fresh new baby. So what we would, you know, what we would really kind of glom on to. Fresh new baby. Fresh new with baby. Like the fluids. Exactly. And the blood, yeah. you know? <laughs> All the beauty as well and as the not, you know, the, the dirtiness. But the, yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's that cyclical kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, I remember just looking back. That was the first project production day for the whole film. And it was like oh, wow. insane because, you know, I never filmed like um, followed a theatrical production before. And we were just jumping in on the deep end. And, you know, we had to follow rules that Actors Equity set out for us. So but it was like a, such a thrilling experience. And I think 
just an honor to actually be there on that first day yeah. in that space, Very like special. feeling that energy and the first presence. day of school vibes. Yeah, it's like they're talking about the presence of people <laughs> who are not there, mm-hmm. but they're of ancestors and people and spirits, you know, who informed who they are. So I think it was just, again, a privilege to capture that. And in the making of this film, um, I definitely think about my own family and um, because we're a family of storytellers as well. My dad is an artist. I think about my grandmother's spirit. So, um, yeah, I think it's just having that space to reflect on uh, my family and also Asian Americans in general as performers, as storytellers, uh, as generating this kind of culture and influence into the world. And I think that was a really great experience. Yeah. Yeah, what a way of like setting the intention also for your production and being there for the table. It was very meta. Like, yeah, met, yeah, met, yeah, yeah, definitely very meta. And then she had a baby along the way as well. So it's about returning can, back yes. to that idea of yeah. continuity and who is this for also in the future, for mm-hmm. your son and daughter as well, mm-hmm. as well as for the audience out there. Yeah, I think um, someone from East West Players, Gavin, um, he's in charge of marketing, I believe. He said something about theatricality. We asked him a question if people, the actors were going to wear the microphones on their faces and if they wanted... Uh, them to not wear it so when we film it it would look more real quote unquote Um, but Gavin was like no we want to embrace the theatricality and that was really inspiring to me and I think that's why a lot of the stuff we filmed you know involved conversations involved kind of like behind the scenes things and like people reflecting on archival footage Mm -hmm. in the spaces of the theater the transparency I also love the academic uh, interlude that's so that was very fun Um, one thing a question I have for all of you is when did East West players enter your life when did you become aware um, or or get involved either or Um, about 10 years ago after I had my first child um, one of my friends uh, from UCSD she was a grad student um, and she asked me to be a part of a reading and I'd never been to East West Players before and I I just did a stage reading for her that was my first experience and then flash forward 10 years later um, all throughout 2023 I've done a handful thanks to Andy Lowe over there I've done a handful of, of um, shows and stage readings um, through and with our uh, East West players. So um, I would say this year has been a, the the pivotal year for me with East West players, and it's been really life changing. Uh, for me, it's it's long story short, um, attending the best school in the world, UCLA, and uh, <laughs> Asian American Asian American film. That was uh, conducted by Dr. Bob Nakamura, who is also known as the godfather of uh, Asian American media. And they occupy Visual Communications, the uh, media company that they, he founded in 1980, 1981, uh, is right below, literally on the, on the basement floor of East West Players, the building here at Union Church on, in Little Tokyo. So he was teaching a class, Asian American film, and he said during that class, it goes, if you really want to know about Asian American stories, Asian American storytelling, or actually storytelling seems to be a word that's coming uh, in vogue lately, but Asian American stories, Asian American actors, Asian American um, representation, go to a theater called East West Players on Little Santa Monica Boulevard. And so I was, I was like, what? What's it? There's East West Players on in Little Santa Monica, little tiny theater. And I saw a play where I saw uh, Jun Kyoko Lu, one of the uh, 
founding members and another actor, and it was an original piece, and it scared and shocked the bejesus out of me because it was about seeing Asian Americans fully fleshed out, not submissive, flower girl, um, geisha girl, samurai knife wielding, you know, uh, it, it was modern, it was daring, it was not very good, but, <laughs> but the audacity to put those stories out there, exactly what they were, you know, our founders were saying, East West Players found, we gotta put that out there because they've gotta be out there and they've gotta be told and they've gotta evolve and they've gotta get better. So that was my first introduction in, in 1980. So I'm just very, very proud that, you know, having seen all those productions since then and got to finally be a part of one. Yeah, um, I heard of East West Players when I went to USC. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> Rivalry. <laughs> <Just>, um, <laughs> in, in graduate film school, and you know, I was looking for Asian Asian American actors yeah. for my short film, and um, you know, one of my professor was like, "Check out East West Players," and actually, Ken Takemoto was in. I cast him in my short, and yep. he was in Canton Jazz Club, yep. and I got to film with him at Tim Dang's house. Yep. So it was just awesome, just coming full circle on that. But yeah, it's like anyone you know who wants to get involved with Asian American actors or culture, performance, whatever. It's like East West players, you know? Yeah. I think it's really notable that it's a theater. Um, Zandi and I were talking about earlier, like obviously people associate Hollywood with film and TV, and this it was a theater group. And I'm curious what you think the importance of that is, um, especially Tamlin, like going from TV and film back to theater. Like what what is the importance of this space existing in a live way or in a theater? Be, admittedly, we are in an industry town and everybody says that it's film and TV and because that's basically how we make money. Because it does, it's the art form that does pay um, equitably. Theater is where we get the blessing, we get the joy, we get off literally and figuratively on performing these <laughs> stories because especially after COVID, we understand we are, are, are facilitating, we are actually impacting persons in this room when I'm speaking because it's live, it's electric, it's personal. You can feel the breath, you can feel the energy, you can feel the electricity in this room. That is what takes place with every theatrical performance. It's different. No matter how much you rehearsal, you can do this show for two years, it will never be the same every night. And to be able to come back, especially after COVID, it's like, you know, my uh, Taylor Swift has come and done her film right, and she's 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 done, and Beyonce as well. The movies that they've done on their concert tours, but does that stop people from going to their concert tours? No, it's just because those concert goers want to be literally in the same room as Beyonce and Taylor Swift, and hopefully, theater will be that conduit to live storytelling and the specialness, the uniqueness, and that. The, the, the only one-of-a-kind of experience that we can only get in doing a performance live. And that's what we're here for, is, is, a, is just to reinvest into this magical, you know, wonderland of what it means to be a storyteller doing live theater. Well said. She said, period. Period. <laughs> we brought up Beyonce, we brought up Taylor Swift. What, yes. what else? What else is there? No, but Zandi, actually, something you, you talk, talked about before... Um, the screening is um, 
that for your family, it was a shock, uh, that you wanted to be a performer. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a hobby for our family. It's like, we were born into it singing. Like I, 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 I came out of the womb singing. I think all Filipinos know how yes. to sing. Yes. So it's like, you want to do what? Like, we have that. We do that at home. Go sing over there on the fireplace. That's your stage. Um, so to, to, to go to UCSD and think about, okay, what do I want to major in? I, uh, t- I was uh, very hesitant. I, I went up to my dad and he's like, I, th- I think I want to do music. And he goes, What? That's not going to put bread on the table. And I was like, well, I can't think of anything else I'm good at. Like, I don't know what else to do. So I ended up just being like, oh, I guess psychology. I like, the, I like you know, learning how people work, learning how we think. And by my third year, I got so, like, I was so uninterested. And I wasn't studying for, spending so much money every semester. And I wasn't interested in my classes anymore. I was actually failing them. And I was like, I'm a straight A student. I'm a teacher's pet. And all of a sudden, I'm not interested in what I'm going to school for. I have to be passionate about what I'm learning. And I just so happened to see a grad production at UCSD of As You Like It, Shakespeare, um, As You Like It. And I was moved to tears. And I called my mom. And this is actually after my dad had passed away. I called her. She and my dad were also like performers back in the Philippines. Um, and so she understood what it meant to see something that moved you to tears mm-hmm. and to really be inspired. And I said, Mom, I can't do it anymore. I can't. She, she called me. She's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was like, I just can't do psychology anymore. I need to do, I need to perform. I want to do theater. And she took her breath and she said, okay, I'll call your Uncle Loy. He's in New York. Okay, are you sure? And I was like, yes, I'm sure. And from then on, I was just like, all about it and um, sure it, it was scary and sure you can't make that much money doing theater but it was the only thing and is the only thing to this day that fills my soul that that um, that is my passion that cultivates joy for me and um, and so yeah it was scary at first as um, the child of an immigrant you know father and mother who gave up everything gave up her pre-med future, her, you know, future as a doctor to come here to the States and struggle and then only to be, only to be uh, called one day to say, I just, I don't want to do any of that. I want to, I want to perform. I want to struggle like you did. She's like, what? Are you sure? But sure, sure enough, she's at every show and she, she's so proud. And I'm hoping that my dad, who's up in heaven, is, is proud as well. Um, so it's, it's a gift to be able to, like, like Tamlin said, to connect with not only the folks that you're on stage with, with the band, with the crew, the, um, but also the audience. To have such a connection um, when you're doing a live performance, you can feel the energy. Sometimes you're scared because there's not any, it's silent. Like, like they were saying in the, in the documentary at the end of the show, it could be silent. And you're not really sure what that means, but it's something. Like you can make an impact on your community when you bring people together and you, you do live theater. Um, so I don't know what the question was. I'm so sorry. <laughs> How your family felt about get uh, you wanting to be a performer? I'm curious. Yeah, Tamlin, if you had, what was your experience? 
Um, I, when I was going to school, I was uh, studying to become a, a teacher, and specifically junior high school, or what they call middle school now, um, because I wanted to uh, teach history. And so, again, long story short, when I got Karate Kid 2, it was like, oh, this is about telling stories, and knowing that it was specifically done in Okinawa, and my mother's side is from Okinawa. It's like, it's about researching, and it's about finding background and, and history, and those stories uh, particular to that uh, land, that culture, that family. And so when I told my mom and dad, uh, this is what, you know, this is what God is leading me to, they said, yeah, good. So I am kind of a, a, a not a, it's not atypical, but it's not typical. And not only in Asian, Asian American families, but a lot of families, because being a performer is scary as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But my family just said, you have to do the best you can. And, and that's, I think that's typical for any mom and dad, is like you have to do the best you can and always think about who you're telling the stories for. Mm-hmm. We, when did you know that you wanted to be um, a, a film director? Yeah, yeah a director. A director. Yeah, um, I think from a young age, I always loved, you know, books, reading, stories, writing. And my dad is a visual artist. So he actually, we immigrated to Canada um, partially because of him and his dream to be an artist without limits on artistic expression. So that's part of the reason why, cool. you know, our whole family left China. Um, and so I don't think it was that surprising to him when I said, you know, I want to pursue film um, and I want to be an artist and filmmaker. So, you know, he was always, my parents were both always so supportive of me as a kid, you know, just doing everything I wanted to do. And that they, you know, yeah, it wasn't something that they definitely were like, you know, cautionary, like, you know, you're going to struggle. It's going to be really difficult. But you know, if this is something that you want to do, then definitely do it. But I think on top of that, there is a little bit of this pressure, you know, because like Zandi was saying, you know, they your parents give up so much for you to come here and, and pursue this dream that there's a pressure to succeed, right, to be kind of the best. And even in the documentary, a lot of the actors were talking about that too, like Mako and Mako's daughter. Um, you can't fail. There's no room for failure in our society because of the inequality that we face. Um, so there is that kind of, I think as creators, we're always faced with that kind of sensation. Um, but I think it's so important. That's why it's so important to have a place like East West Players um, and other organizations and communities of, of artists to support ourselves and support each other and to really work for the art and work for the expression. I relate to a lot of that. Um, was there, did making this film sort of challenge any conceptions that you had prior, like, or what, what surprised you in making the film? <laughs> there are so many things. I think someone asked me last time, I'm like, everything surprised me. <laughs> um, I learned so much. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sorry, I, I don't mean, again, this is not something bad, but there is this kind of, like, <laughs> preconception of actors. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they're actors. <laughs> And you know, I, I, I <laughs> come from coming from a documentary, you know, background primarily. The people that I've filmed with are just regular people. You know, they're not like famous or on screen or whatever. But so there was a kind of like a like, oh, how is this going to come out? How is this going to work? But I think it was just amazing to meet everybody that we filmed with, and I think it was just amazing to understand the desire to perform. 
right? Not just you know, from 1965 when East-West Players was, was founded, but from the inception of when Asians came to this country or when immigrants came to this country, there was like this desire to perform, to come together as a community, to play out our culture, to create new culture. So I think that was super exciting. And I think that, that part of East-West Players' history of when, you know, you didn't know what you were doing, you didn't know what Asian American culture was, but you're trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really inspiring energy and spirit to look at upon now, you know, because I think people of our generation or younger generations kind of take it for granted, right? Because th that the term Asian American exists, mm -hmm. right? And that we're contributing to it now. Um, but there was a time that it didn't, right? And I think having that same spirit or channeling part of that spirit, that kind of maverick or like pioneering spirit is would be really great, I think, now to have. Well, that there's one part towards the beginning of the film where... Um, Mako asks himself, there, he says, there was a political movement, but can we also make it a culture and can we make an art out of it? And I think that question is still extremely relevant today. And I'm curious, yeah, if how, when you're making your work, are you thinking of it as a political movement and, and how can you make art of that? Was that something that you were thinking yourself? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like everybody... Asians or Asian Americans in this country has a very complicated relationship with the term Asian American. <laughs> like for me, you know, coming being a first generation immigrant from China and I grew up in Canada and then living here, it's like, am I Asian American? I don't know. I mean I just got citizenship, so now I can vote finally. <laughs> but but like but also calling myself American for a long time was a very complicated question. Right. Like, you know, and what does that mean? So um you know, I think I think definitely making this work and making my other films, there is an awareness, right, that I'm contributing to something like a movement or a culture or like a... Because I think the whole thing is like, what is Asian American culture? Well, it's whatever people contribute to it, you know? It's this thing that is multifaceted and ever-evolving, and it's not something that is like absolute at all. So I think that's really exciting. So like part of it is a that's a freeing sensation of like okay, well whatever it is that I'm choosing to co create will contribute to this thing, this body. Um but at the same time, I also feel like it can be constraining. So I don't sometimes there's parts of me where I'm like, well, I'm also thinking in a different way in this other kind of broader way or a more of a personal way that's not necessarily just defined by this sort of political movement so to speak but I believe that you know it, it's all related yeah Sandy and Tamlin in your performances like are, are you finding a sense of political movement and also are you thinking about how like what how politics can lead to an art oh okay uh, well just to follow you we is that you're Asian North American. I always I always <laughs> share that with Sandra O oh and Simu Lu and Manny Jacinto. It's like you're not Asian American. You're not just Asian American. You're Asian North American because you're representing. Thank you. Know, you. Yes, of course. But uh, we can't help but being political because we look like this and we're changing the model of what it means to be American. I'm even constantly with other Asian Americans. It's like, well, my, my mother's you know Japanese, but my father's American. It's like, what does that mean? Your father's American. You know, he's white. And it's like, well, that's not just American. So it's like, that's that's the kind of education. That's And I don't want to be sound like I'm more than or more intelligent than, but it's just an evolution. It's an evolution. And 
what I'm going to be specific is, and I think Andy Lowe knows this history, is that I specifically did um, Spring Awakening because of the controversy of a reading or a uh, stage reading of something called The Nightingale that was written by the writers of Spring Awakening, Stephen Sater and uh, Doug and Cheek. And they decided to white cast it and put you know, the Asians as just very, very peripheral characters. And during that time, East West took the lead in combating that kind of um, unconscious casting. And so I was able to speak up to that uh, controversy. This October, Stephen Sater in New York City did another reading of The Nightingale and did it with Asian American actors because of this evolution of what it meant to be dismissive of Asian American or not even see the, 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 the rich pool of Asian American actors that were here on the West Coast for that initial reading of Nightingale that was in 2015, 2000, it might have been earlier, I can't remember. But because we were so successful with his spring awakening at East West Players, I think there was a shift, there was a conscientious, there was a very conscious shift about, wow, we recognize there's a, there's a whole pool, there's a motherfucking pool of Asian American <laughs> awesome talent out there, and we're going to see them, and we're going to use them in, in New York City for this new rendition of Nightingale. And I just want to say that it, it couldn't have happened without the activism, mm -hmm. without the power of our voices, of protest, of saying, this is wrong, this is what can be done about it. Not just saying this is wrong, but add to the conversation. Mm -hmm. Try this. Consider that. This may be something of an option for us to do together so we can move as to what it truly means to be an American in this country. That's beautiful. Um, I love that. I... Uh, I want to add to that, I just finished a run of uh, a new play called This Is Not a True Story at LATC. Um, yeah, thank you for, thank you, uh, for coming to that. Um, it, was, uh, it was put on by Latino Theater Company in partnership with um, Artists at Play, another wonderful Asian American theater company. And um, in talking about rewriting reclaiming what it means to be Asian, Asian American. We have these old tropes of the lotus flower from Madame Butterfly, from Miss Saigon, that's just recent, <laughs> 1980s, 1990s. I grew up idolizing Miss Saigon, Leia Salonga, and, and how she broke through this uh, supposed glass ceiling, right, of, of musical theater and what it means to be a Broadway actor. Right. And she paved the way for me, for all of us. Um, and then we're, I'm doing this show that's really like taking a critical lens and saying, hey, like, we're more than just that. Yep. We, we have our own stories. We don't have to die at the end of the <laughs> play for our lives to mean something. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's not just representation you know, we get to um, show up and, and get to be a part of, be a, a, you know, have a seat at the table. But it's also like, I'm going to write our stories. I'm going to tell you that there are so many different ways to be Asian American, to be Asian here in America. And um, so, yeah, in that sense, it's very political. We are, we are 
paving the way for ourselves, for um, for the ones to come after us, and we're challenging, um, you know, the future next generation to say um, not not just uh, break those stereotypes, but tell them. Tell them how talented we are. Tell them how powerful our stories are. Tell them how valuable we are to this nation. Um, and we're not to be looked over. We're not to be dismissed just because of what our, the color of our skin or the shape of our eyelids or, you know, or how our, what our voices sound like. Thank you. That's so powerful. Um, so I want to open it up to questions, but first I just also want to say that this is our last in our series Yay. of Artbound KCET screenings, and it's just been so lovely. I want to acknowledge the amazing work from the LAist and uh, KCET staff and team that put these events together. They've just been really moving, and these films have been so beautiful. They really like affirm to me like why public media rocks, and also how important it is to rem like remember all these histories. So thank you. Special shout out to Nick Chalkim. Yes, Nick <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any questions from the audience? Over here. Hello. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for this wonderful panel. And thank you, Nick, for such a great documentary. So good. I just have a, um, a couple of thoughts um, about, um, we, is it we? Yes. Um, you're, you're talking about the label Asian American. Right. And um, I actually think that, and, and I, really, I really admire and really appreciate your articulation, all of you, for how the activism and the just the showing, not just the telling, but the showing of the talent. But I, I, I had this thought of um, the nuance of Asian American versus American Asian. Mm. Because I feel like American Asians are people like, like Che Yu or An Lee or Jessica Hagedorn, and maybe you. I don't know what, how old you were when you came to this country. Were uh, you? I was like in my 20s. Okay, so I, you are already. Because yeah. I always think that folks who are formed you know, from zero to five, at least, in an Asian country, you are in the majority. And then when you come to America, you kind of become American. And I feel like that that is more American Asian because you're founded solidly, you know, in a majority. Because I feel like Asian Americans in the minority have a kind of more of a floating quality. Like we, we, we can't like just, that. you know. So there's something about that, but, and also just making new terms and language to make these nuances and associations, so. Yeah, I, I was thinking as, as you were both speaking that, um, and, and then the term political too, like a political identity, obviously in this country it has a significance in terms of um, our, our lives, our uh, well-being, living in this society, in this country. Um, but at the same time, I feel like it can be, uh, I think what I was trying to articulate, it can be kind of constraining in a sense because as we make art, as we make um, you know, these works, that it is feeling like we need to represent a whole entire community or we have to represent everyone. And again, that pressure of needing to represent us at our best, right? Versus 
um, something that is confused or, you know, it's, it's, it's vague or maybe like a weird or whatever, you know, is not fully like ready for the show or whatever. But, you know, but that's very, really valuable too, right? As art, art, as artistic practice. So anyway, that's kind of what I was thinking too of like, what is, what does it mean to be an Asian American or American Asian artist or creator? And also, I think that it's because because in our, I mean, it's just such a weird moment in our culture, you know, and the, the imaginations are being shrunken, you know, because of the, the constant, I feel like the constant feeds of the same stuff over and over again. And so um, just even thinking about what you and Tamlin and, and Zandi, is it? Just the idea that, and, and I always, I think of the sociologist Tressie mcmillan Cottom. She says, how well I do depends on how well people imagine me. So people think of us as very small. And I feel like sometimes we shouldn't take it personally. You know, it's just that people have tiny, people just don't even have enough energy. You know, everyone's exhausted to just even think big, you know. So there's something about living big, but also needing other people to be able to see and imagine us big, too, so... But thank you so much for this panel. We have one more question up here. <laughs> Hello, you all are beautiful, by the way. Um, my question, I guess, is more specifically for uh, Zandi and Tamlin, but you, if you have anything to say about it, please do. Um, as, like for Zandi, as someone who didn't, who like whose passion her entire life was theater, but took a long break and then finally went back to theater after, what was it, like 15 years, you said, 10, 15 years? And then for Tamlin, for mostly doing film and TV, and then finally, like, stepping on the stage, especially at East West Players for the first time, how was that for you guys, getting to experience something that you haven't experienced in so long, or possibly never even? Did you guys ever feel like, like, did you ever have, like, the imposter syndrome of, oh, am I not good enough? Like, and how did you guys, like, overcome that? I felt at home. By the way, this is Abigail Samara, um, and her sister Andrea was in On the Side of the World, and you're also a performer too, so thanks for this question. Um, uh, getting to sing and be on stage and act with fellow Filipinos, Filipino-Americans, and sing the words uh, of a Filipino immigrant was the most special experience I've ever had in my life. Um, and although I didn't experience that firsthand, uh, um, I could put myself in the shoes of my mom and my grandmother and, and everyone in my family who made that trip, who took that one-way ticket, that flight, to come here um, with you know a suitcase weighing 95 pounds only, take only what you can fit in that suitcase, and, and to try to make a new life. Um, that was so fulfilling, that was so validating um, and empowering. Um, and I'll tell you that the callback for this, uh, for this show was unlike anything I've ever experienced because it wasn't cutthroat. It was, there was never a moment of competitiveness. It was 
um, any one of us on that stage, there was about, I want to say, I don't know, 25, 30 of us, right? That, that audition, any six of us, any six combination of us could have done this show and it would have been amazing. And we were all rooting for each other. Um, I had a friend who was going for the same role as I was. I was like, do you want to use my notes? Do you want to hear it? Like, we were just so, um, uh, a community of, of artists who were like, this show needs to be seen and who any one of us on the stage who gets this role like we're gonna we're gonna be there on opening night um so it's you know when you go to an open call you know i just went to an open call for sixth musical and it was pretty like nerve-wracking and anybody could have gotten it but to see faces across the room that look just like yours and were extremely talented it's inspiring It's so wonderful and validating is what I said. I think I know there's so much more, but like that's what comes to mind when um, when I think about getting to do this role and getting to tell these stories as a Filipino, as a Filipino American um, and with, you know, first generation or second. Wait, right. Second. My mom. It depends. depends, Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? My parents came here from the Philippines and I and getting to tell their stories was um, was so special. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's the connection of, uh, again, the, the original question at the top of this wonderful um, documentary that we had done with the help of Nick Chuck Kim and Phil Chung. It is about who do we tell these stories for? Who are we? Who do we have in mind? And consistently and persistently, I have to remember who the audience is. I have to remember where I come from and what I hope for to communicate these ideas. Because during the whole run of Spring Awakening, and this is Andy Lowe here, who is one of the producing artistic directors at East West Players as well. He was always very conscientious and mindful about the other Asian American plays that were going on at the same time in Los Angeles and in New York City. Um, for for at uh, LATC Los Angeles uh, Los Angeles Theater Center, it was running con- concurrently. The Travelers, Tacos La Brooklyn, as well as um, this is oh God, this is not this is not your story. This story. is not a true story. It's like this is not a true story, and on this side of the world, it's like they have the the, 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 long, the, 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 titles. the long titles. Yeah. But anyway, and also Sumo was going on at La Jolla, and as well as our play. So it's a, it's again about the, the the rich pool of Asian American stories and Asian American actors. For Spring Awakening specifically, I know there were fourteen hundred actors who auditioned. That shows the range of Asian American talent. For me personally, I know I will speak to it uh, here on LAist um, because on this side of the world was more important, was more moving, was more impactful to me as an Asian American than Here Lies Love, the spectacle that went on in New York City that just recently closed. Because this, on this side of the world, had a full Filipino-American cast. Here Lies Love had a full, brilliant, glorious Filipino-American cast. But the stories of specifically what it means to be Filipino-American was more impact and more relatable than a story that happens to be a disco ball named Imelda Marcos, but also the context of the Aquino story and the history of the people's revolution that went on there. But we saw this disco ball that was rotating with all these brilliant Asian American performers, but without the light of those performers, that disco ball wouldn't have shined. So what we're trying to say is that 
what it means to be specifically in Los Angeles, to do theater, to do these stories that are relatable to us as Asian Americans, are also relatable to other Americans of other ethnic heritages. And that's who we have to remind ourselves. That's who we're connecting to. This relates to you because I'm invested in who you are, in who you are, in who we all are together, in knowing the story and relating it as best as I can in my capacity. I'm going to be Googling Here Lies Love tonight. (laughs) I said it. Chest? Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to... I I, I do love the kind of framing device that you have We um, with all of the, you know, the, the various combinations with the interviews and and I definitely felt like this kind of underlying uh, I don't know if I mean what would you call it kind of th- thematically of of passing the torch or of mentors and uh, I just kind of wanted to hear kind of some of your thoughts mm. on that um, in those relationships um, particularly as the company comes up on 60 years right um, and I'll also throw this at Tamlin too, because I know you have wonderful stories about Nobu uh, and, and her role in your life as well. But um, yeah, so. We please, I, blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, when I started working on this film with Nick Cha Kim (laughs) and Phil Chung, um, you know, they had been steeped in the world of Asian American theater and East West players for so many years. Um, And one of the things that came up was like, you know, the sense of community. And again, the different generations of, of actors and creatives that have gone through East West. And so to me, I was like, oh, what would happen if we just brought them together in one space? And what would they talk about? What would they have in common? What would they disagree on? So I think that was just a point of um, curiosity for me to see what would happen. Um, And as we did the research, we just found these pairings with Phil and Nick's help of like, oh, well, this person, like Tamlin's, you know, great with... Clyde and they're going to have, you know, a great conversation and unfiltered and, you know, these other like Emily and John Cho and Alberto, like they're kind of, you know, this mentorship relationship and, you know, also Mako, like his relationship with Keone and and others um, over the years and, and kind of honoring his memory also through some of those conversations. So I think it was really fun and was really great to kind of bring the presence of all these different generations uh, of people who weren't there necessarily, but also who were present. So, yeah, it was really fun. And also the the face of of this particular documentary, uh, East West Players, A Home on Stage, is Daniel Day Kim, who nominated original founding member East West Players, James Hong, for his Hollywood star in the Walk of Fame earlier last year. So again, it's that connectivity. And Daniel Day Kim had done a version of A Golden Child written by David Henry Wong, which the theater at East West Players is aimed after. So knowing about the mentors and Nobu McCarthy, uh, who played my auntie in Karate Kid 2, was also the artistic director at East West Players, um, who... uh, Actually, sorry, she became the artistic director um, after we had done Credit Kid 2. So it's about who I am in this particular chapter of my life. I know I'm a mentor figure. It's like I don't want to say I'm old or say it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but I know I'm looked up to by younger uh, performers, especially the, the the wonderful cast of Spring Awakening. But I always tell them to look beyond who and, and look on the shoulders I stand on, specifically Noma McCarthy, who took that idea of what it meant to be a dues acting, uh, a dues paying actor to a company called East West Players, and moving it towards a more corporately funded, uh, a more uh, moneyed kind of. Um, aspect that was necessary to be able to fulfill the 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 mission of east west players it it had to shift and she did it with grace she did it with a lot of <clears throat> fortitude and she did it with a lot of feminine energy i have to say it. it's like recognizing the power of women going into the corporate world and asking for funds and money in mostly male populated boardrooms must have been a task in and of itself for her as an immigrant woman, especially in the 1990s. So all credit goes to her into leapfrogging what East West Players was in 1965 to what it became in the early 90s and passing it off to Tim Dang. And I had witnessed Noba McCarthy literally leading Tim Dang by the hand at opening, uh, at opening nights and saying, you need to meet this gentleman, you need to meet this woman, these are um, our sponsors, these are donors, these are benefactors. And so it was that kind of transition, that kind of learning, that kind of teaching that Noba McCarthy was able to pass along to Tim Dang, who then passed it along to Snehal Desai, and to the next artistic director of East West Players. So mentorship, as well as protege, what is the correct word? Mentorship and protégeship? I don't know. <laughs> but it's about, again, recognizing who I am uh, whose st shoulders I stand on and who's going to stand on my shoulders. It's all connection. It's all about knowing whose seeds you're planting and whose flowers you're plucking. Okay, last question. Yes. So you just mentioned. Oh. Thank you. You just mentioned about that coming transition because East West Players looking for a new artistic director, what would your advice be to the person who eventually takes the reins of this institution to continue to move it forward in the way that the last few artistic directors have? Be smart with heart because you cannot do it without that kind of business mindset of knowing what your financial bottom line is but you must be able to carry on with the heart of what it means to tell these stories with the art form it is. It is different. Theater is different from film, which is different from television. It is the idea of being able to have that luxury of rehearsing. But again, it's about telling the story. And if, even if I told the story to just you, that is as meaningful to me to be in a blockbuster whatever film because I got to you or my team, my cast, my director, my writers got to you. And that is the power of theater. It's really about connecting live, and it only happens here at this time in this moment. Well, thank you so much. It's a beautiful panel, beautiful film. Hey, it's Brian, the host of the How to Relate podcast. How about we go to the movies? Join us for a 10-part series, Revival House, and discover the magic of LA's indie theaters. Who knows? You might meet someone. I know it sounds antithetical because you're just sitting passively, but in fact, you're connecting with everyone else around you. 
Subscribe to How to LA from LA Studios wherever you listen to podcasts.